Thanks, Ali. It's kind of the heart of what we're talking about in this series, Jesus being Lord of all. Um, we, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we, we've finished kind of a two-parter in this series talking about the new life where we talk about what it means when Paul says, uh, put off the old self and put on the new self that you now have in Christ. And really what Paul's talking about and what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks is this process of sanctification. And sanctification just means becoming holy, becoming more like Christ. And and we talked over the last couple of weeks about how the process of sanctification began with what God did at salvation. We call that past sanctification, but it's a process that continues throughout our entire life as we partner with God and we make decisions and we make actions based on uh, the revealed truth that God has given us, the power of the Spirit of God in us, and it's in His power for the rest of our life that we are walking out sanctification. We talked a lot about what that looks like last week. We called it present and ongoing sanctification. So that's what we've covered over the last couple of weeks in this series, and really Every single week, and last week we considered it again, um, as we've been going through this series, we've been talking about how it's, there's this cross-section that we have to walk in between what is true, uh, what is true objectively about us in Jesus Christ when we come to salvation. Uh, we are made new by God, and, and at the same time, that's objectively true, but we also have to lay hold of a lot of these truths that we've been talking about and walk in them. And this is what Paul's been talking about. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now put it on, right? You have to walk in it. And so that's really what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And I'd said in week one of this series, I said, you know, we had to lay some foundational work in the Word of God before we could move on to having the Word of God bear weight on us in specific areas of life. And so we've now covered those foundational things, namely the, the why and the how behind the exhortations that Paul gives regarding how to live in different aspects of life. Paul, Paul covers in Ephesians 4 to 6. And so in Ephesians 1 to 3, we talked about how Paul has established, and hopefully we've established over the last three weeks of this series, that you know this is who you are in Christ. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 1 to 3. This is who you are in Christ. This is what God has done for you. This is what God is doing in the world. And then from Ephesians 4 to 6, the remainder of this letter, Paul says, okay, this is who you are. This is what God's doing. Now walk this way. This is what you are to be in Christ. And that's where we're going this morning. And that's where we're going to be going for the weeks to come in this series. And so when Paul writes about how we should live in different areas of life, he's not writing about, and I am not preaching about, simply behavior modification. That is not what the Christian life is about. What Paul writes about and what I preach about presupposes that you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, that he has made you new through the power of the Spirit, and that Spirit that is at work within you is helping you to walk out these things that we are called to walk out. So we're not just talking about behavior modification. We're talking about the life of a new being in Christ and what it actually means to walk that out. 
and have Jesus as Lord. And so in Ephesians 4.25, to the end of the letter of Ephesians, Paul is outlining practically what does it look like to put off that old self and put on the new self that you now have in Jesus Christ. And verse 25 begins with that favorite transition word, therefore. And Paul says, therefore, what follows is what it means to do what I've been talking about before now. Namely, putting on the old self, taking, or putting on the new self and taking off the old self. And that's what we're going to look over the next few weeks. What you're going to notice as we progress, especially through the rest of Ephesians chapter 4 over the next weeks, um, there's a pattern in Paul's writing. And it's very noticeable in Ephesians 4, 25 to 32, in which he covers several topics. And each topic follows the same flow. First, Paul gives a negative quality that is being prohibited. And then Paul follows that up with a positive quality that is being encouraged. And then, third, Paul follows both of those up with the motivation for why we should walk in that positive quality. And what, God, what Paul is doing here is he's saying, okay, this negative quality, that is part of the old self that you used to be. Stop doing that. This positive quality, that's the new self. That's the one that you have to put on. And then here's the motivation for why you should do that. And so today, we are only going to be dealing with the first topic. We're only going to be in verse 25 this morning, where Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So we see right there, that, that little flow that I was telling you about. The negative quality from the old self is falsehood. Paul says, put it off. And instead, put on this positive quality that's part of the new self, speak truth. And here's your motivation for doing it, because we are members one of another. And so that's what we're going to unpack together this morning. And so let's pray together as we dig into God's Word. Father, I thank you for each person here this morning. And Lord, I thank you for the gathering of your body. I thank you for your word that is living, that is active, that was given to us, that we can know you, that we can know your commands, that we can know how you desire us to live in Christ. And Father, I pray that as we talk about putting off falsehood and speaking truth this morning, that we would know that it's more than just behavior modification. It is literally walking in the new self that we have in Jesus Christ, being a reflection of who you are and who we truly are in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning, that you would not allow us to make excuses for falsehood, but that we would be a people who walk and speak in the truth as a reflection of Jesus Christ. Do a work in our hearts today, Lord, in Jesus' name. So what I want to do uh, as we begin this morning is I want to start with two illustrations. And the reason why I want to start here is because I want to, I'm just going to come right out and say, I want to try to address the spirit of excuses that may be in the room. 
And we're just going to get those out of the way in the first place. Because sometimes when we hear a command from God, uh, our flesh likes to try to find wiggle room in God's command so that we can soften that command and therefore justify ourselves in it. And so to do that, we often rationalize what God has commanded by arguing from a fringe or a very rare or extreme situation and then working back from that to the main focus of God's command in order to soften it. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to get that extreme situation out of the way so we don't have that excuse anymore. And so the command is put away falsehood, put away lying. And in the flesh, we go, okay, but aren't there times, aren't there times where it's right to tell a lie? And then we think of extreme situations to justify ourselves. So let's just get them out of the way with three illustrations this morning. Illustration number one and number two come from uh, just a fantastic book called The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Probably a lot of you have read it, probably in school. Uh, and then the other one comes straight from the Bible. So if you don't know about The Hiding Place, you don't know Corey Ten Boom, uh, Corey Ten Boom, her family was part of the Dutch resistance in World War II. And they lived in this place called the Bayer, and they used their home to help hide Jews from the Nazis during the war. And so in chapter 7 of her book, she talks about how the Nazis were going around and they were seizing men between the ages of 16 and 30 because they wanted them to go and work in munitions factories. And so to prepare for the raids, uh, Corey's sister, Nolly, actually built this hiding place under their kitchen table so if they had to hide really quickly, they could get under there and hide from the raids. And so, of course, the, the soldiers come and they raid their home and Peter and uh, I think it was Bob had to hide under the table. And when the soldiers enter, there was a young girl named Cocky there. She was there celebrating a birthday party. And the soldiers come up to her and they ask, do you have any brothers? And she says, yeah, I do. I have three brothers because she's been told to tell the truth always. And so she says, I have three brothers. She says, I have one who's 19, one who's 18, and one who's 16. And then she she, and then the soldier asks her, well, where, where are they? Where are your brothers? And she says, they're hiding under the table. But she's so nervous that she's laughing as she says it, and the soldier thinks she's making fun of them. And they don't check. And they leave the home. Chapter 8, Corey tells the story of her sister, Nolly. She had a young Jewish woman working with her in her home as a housemaid to help her hide. And when soldiers raided her house, they asked Nolly if the girl was Jewish. And Nolly tells the truth. She says, yeah, she's Jewish. And the agents take Annalise to a holding area in Amsterdam while Nolly is taken to a prison in Harlem for trying to hide her. And Corey hears what happens, and she gets angry with Nolly for not lying. Why would you not lie, Nolly? But Nolly believes that God will protect Annalise because she did not lie. One week later, Corey receives news that 40 Jews were rescued from the holding area in Amsterdam. And guess who was one of them? Annalise. Illustration number three, the Hebrew midwives. 
The king of Egypt, Exodus chapter 1, the king of Egypt comes to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. And I don't know if that's Sally say her name, Pua. What a name, poor woman. Uh, <laughs> and the, the king of Egypt comes and says, kill any sons of the Hebrew women that they give birth to. And the midwives, it says, feared God and did not do as the king commanded them to do. And so the king calls them in to see, why are you not doing what I commanded you to do? And the midwives lie in response to the king's question. They say in Exodus 1.19, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So they lie to Pharaoh. Say, oh, it's not us. The, the Hebrew women, they're just fast at giving birth. That'd be nice. They're just fast at giving birth, a lot faster than the Egyptian women. We don't get there. The babies are already born. There's nothing that we can do. Okay, so we have different situations. Two, where the truth was told in a life-threatening situation. And one, where a lie was told in a potentially life-threatening situation. And God honored their actions in both. In the biblical story, it says God honored their actions because they feared the Lord. Now, at no point was that lie commended. The fear of the Lord was commended. Now, I share both, and now you're all sitting there going, well, what's the answer, Pastor Chad? What's right? I share both illustrations because when we hear a command like put away falsehood, do not lie, we look for wiggle room, right? Isn't there situations where we should lie, where it's right for us to do so? And I'm not going to give that kind of moral license to us because I don't think God's word does anywhere. But there may be times where a Christian feels constrained to lie in an extreme situation in order to conceal the truth from those with evil intentions. But in those types of situations, would God honor the truth as well the way he did in the hiding place? So all I'm saying is, it may be something that we have to wrestle out in our lives at one point if we are in an extreme situation. That's an unsatisfying answer. But I'm leaving it there. And I address that so that now we can get that out of the way. Stop thinking about that extreme situation that may happen and not make excuses for falsehoods so that we can now focus on what Paul says, that 99.99999% of the time that we're not in an extreme situation, Paul says, put away falsehood. Don't lie. So what is falsehood? Paul says, put it away. Put away lying. Put away deceit. And there's two reasons for this command that are based on what happens at salvation. Two reasons why Paul says, hey, Christian, stop lying. Put it away. Don't do it anymore. Reason number one that we are to put away lying and deceit is because such actions and such attitudes were part of our old self. And that old self is passed away. It's dead. Remember we talked about that last week? We are a new creation in Christ. Ephesians 4.22, Paul says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life 
and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And so Paul's saying in verse 22, your old self that you had before Christ was corrupt, and the reason why it was corrupt is because it had deceitful or false desires. And so before knowing Christ, before knowing the truth, we had this false understanding of life. We were looking to the wrong things, and we were following desires that we thought were good, that we thought were satisfying, but they were actually corrupting us. They were causing us to waste away. Paul says we were literally defined in our last life by deceitful desires, and we do not want to be defined that way in Jesus Christ. Christ, as Paul says, no longer walk that way. You've been given a new nature. You now have new desires that are good, that are no longer deceitful. So don't walk in that old falsehood anymore. Walk in what is true. And then the second thing, the second reason why we no longer walk in falsehood is all falsehood and deceit is birthed from Satan himself. You ever think about that? All falsehood, all deceit is birthed from Satan. Think about the Garden of Eden. What did he do? Did God really say? Deceit. He was trying to deceive Eve into what God actually said. Did God really say? Jesus says of Satan in John 8, verse 44, he says, He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So in a very real sense, church, lying and falsehood aligns an individual with Satan himself. We don't like to hear that. We think, well, that's a little bit harsh. No, that's exactly what is true. When we lie, when we deceive, we are aligning ourselves with Satan and the character of Satan. God is called the father of lights. He is the giver of gifts. He is the giver of all things. And Satan is called the father of lies. And so what leaves our mouth, whether it is truth or whether it is lies, reveals in that moment what kingdom we are aligning ourselves with. We're either aligning ourselves with the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of Satan, or the kingdom of God. And God has some really strong things to say about lying in his word. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17 says, There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven, they're an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Revelation 21, 7 to 8. Look what it says here. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, or idolaters, and all liars, 
Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Wow. God takes this very seriously. And we can see in Revelation 21 there that we just read, the practice of lying brings into question salvation according to God's word. So what is lying ultimately rooted in? Ultimately, all lies are rooted in fear. That's it. When we lie, it's because we're afraid. So when you think about any scenario in which a person may lie, at the very basic level, they can be broken down into two categories. First category is, I want blank to happen, and I'm afraid that it won't, so I'm going to lie. And category two is, I don't want blank to happen, and I'm afraid that it will, so I'm going to lie. I don't want people to know I'm struggling with, so I'm going to lie. I don't want that to happen, so I'll do this. I want to make sure I get this job, so I lie. All of it comes down to the root of fear. And you know what fear is rooted in? Fear is rooted in a lack of love. That's what God's word says. Because God's word says perfect love casts out fear. God's word says we've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So when we are fearing, there's a lack of love. So when a Christian lies, they are not only operating in fear, but they are operating in a lack of love. And I'm going to touch on this again at the end. So Paul's saying, listen, as a new creation, to lie is to go against your nature, to go against who we are in Christ. And you're supposed to put off that old self, but when you lie, you're putting it back on. You're putting it back on. And remember, that old self is corrupt. That old self is dead. That old self is aligning with the kingdom of darkness. It is futile. How do we do it? Is it okay this morning? I'm like, oh. <laughs> the reason why God is so clear about this in his word, the reason why I'm trying to be so clear this morning, is because we are not to live in our former manner of life. We are to put on our new self because we were created after the likeness of God. It says in Ephesians 4.23, in true righteousness and holiness. And so Paul says, therefore, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. It is incredibly important, followers of Jesus, that we speak the truth, that we do not speak lies. Why? Ephesians 1.13, it says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You see that? Paul says, the gospel is the word of truth. And when you heard that truth, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You came to faith in Jesus Christ. Truth is incredibly important. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, rather, speak truth 
in love. This is how we grow up one another in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.2, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have renounced underhanded ways. He says we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 36 to 37, do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything else comes from evil. Truth is so incredibly important, church. We follow the one who declared of himself, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And we follow the very truth, the one who embodies all truth. John 8, 31 to 32, Jesus is teaching the Jews who believed in him. And he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, church. We have to speak the truth because it's the truth that sets people free. There's so many times in the church that we don't engage in situations, and I'm guilty of this myself, we don't engage in situations because we're so afraid that we're going to offend somebody. They need to know the truth. Church, we also have to be mature enough that we can receive the truth, and that's a big problem in the church, I will tell you. That's a huge problem in the church. When someone coming comes lovingly to you and says, I see this in your life, so many people just run away. I don't want to hear it. I don't want anything to do with it. They get defensive, pull themselves away from the body of Christ. That's not how we live. Someone comes to us in truth, in love. We receive it with a humble spirit. It doesn't happen often in the body of Christ, though. So what's our motivation for speaking truth? Paul says our motivation for speaking truth, listen, it's so interesting what Paul says here because he doesn't apply to the law. Right? Like Paul doesn't go back to the law and says, speak the truth because that's what the law says. He could have appealed to the law like, this is God's command, so do it. That would have been okay for him to do that, but he didn't do that. He appeals to something more than that. Paul says our motivation for speaking truth is speak truth with your neighbor, for we are members one of another. That's Paul's motivation. Speak truth to your neighbor, we're members one of another. So what's Paul saying here? He certainly has in mind that Christians are to speak truth to their neighbors in the world. Every person that we come face to face with, we are to be truthful. You know, one of the things that Kate and I constantly tell our children is we carry the most important message in the world. If people cannot trust what we say about small things. How do they trust this message that we carry? Like that's what I want my children to know. You carry the most important thing. 
You have to be truthful in all things so that when you speak about the most important thing, people know you are trustworthy. That should be the heart for all of us as followers of Christ. And so Paul's talking about speak truth to your neighbors. Your neighbors are in the world. But ultimately, you know where Paul's focus is? It's in the church. Paul, Because Paul says we are members one of another. We've been talking about this for the last little while, church, right? We are members of Christ's body. We are all a part of the same body. And so Paul's ultimate focus is speak truth to your fellow Christians. Be truthful with one another because you are members one of another. You are the same body in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine someone walking along and the eye notices that they're about to step over a cliff and they lie to the legs and says, it's fine, just keep going. Do you know where that person's going to end up? Right? It's not good when the body lies to itself. And so Paul's not just insisting on truth because it's the moral law. He insists on it because of the bond of fellowship that you and I enjoy in the body of Christ. Paul's saying lying is a hindrance to the proper functioning of Jesus' body. And he says in Ephesians 4, 1 all the way to 16, he's talking about unity in the body that must be present for Christ's body to grow, right? As we already looked at, speak truth in love so that you grow up into Christ. Lying destroys the unity of Jesus' body. Second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Is lying loving your neighbor as yourself? Some of us lie to ourselves. That's not loving. But we do it. We shouldn't. Love your neighbor as yourself. Would you lie to yourself? And you know the, the piece that Paul goes to? He goes, love your neighbor as yourself. And then, when he or she becomes a Christian, love your neighbor because he or she is yourself. That's what he's saying. Love your neighbor as yourself. But that fellow Christian, love them because that is yourself. You're basically lying to your own body. That's what he's saying. Paul uses the same argument for husbands loving their wives. He says in Ephesians 5, 28 to 30, he says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. No Christian should lie to another Christian? Why? Because you don't hate your own flesh. You nourish your own flesh. You cherish your own flesh. Because we're members of one another. So put on the new self. And don't be like the world. Listen, church, we know, and I'll just end with this, we know that our world is filled with lies. It's honestly, in our day and age, it's like a sport to see how much people can lie. And I'm not just talking about people. I'm talking about governments. I'm talking about news media. I'm talking about big organizations. It's like, how much 
can we fool people about what's going on in the world? This is the reality that we live in. And as followers of Jesus, we, as in all things, must be the light in this. You know the two words that I hate the most in the English dictionary? Misinformation and disinformation. Anybody else sick of hearing that garbage? I'm so sick of it. And oftentimes the people who are claiming misinformation and disinformation are the ones that are spewing it. I'm so tired of it. Jesus' church needs to be this place where we can come and know what I am hearing from brothers and sisters is true. I don't need to try and, you know, siphon it through all of the garbage. I know they're being truthful with me. I know they're being honest with me. How beautiful is that? If there is this place that we can go, that that is a reality. Because you go outside of this place, and my goodness, bombardment of lies. So let's have a space where that is not the case have a space where we are free to tell the truth to one another, whether it's difficult or not. Let's not look like the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that this is a challenging thing. We are surrounded by lies in our world. It is constant. So Lord, I thank you first of all that we know the truth because we know Christ. Father, may we be rooted in the truth in a world that wants to sway us in so many different directions. May we first and foremost be rooted in what you have declared good, what you have declared right, what you have declared true. And then Father, as those people who have a a new self who are a new creation in Christ, may we put that on and walk in the truth. Putting away all falsehood. Those little white lies that we think are harmless. No. Let us recognize that all falsehood comes from the devil. That he is the father of lies but we belong to the Father of light, and so let us walk in that light with one another. And Father, in this world that so desperately needs the truth, that so desperately needs Christ, let us walk as those people who have the most important message in the world so that when people come face to face with us, they can go, you know what? This message is difficult. I don't really fully understand it, but I know that this person doesn't lie. I know that they're speaking to me from this place of love. God, I pray that I guarantee there are people in here who struggle with this. Convict them. May they bow before you and ask forgiveness. And may they no longer walk in falsehood. Walk in truth. Thank you that you are patient, that you are May we have the courage and the boldness to be those people that you call us to be. In Jesus' name.